promise that God's love will never run out. Amen? That's a wonderful promise. Uh, good news. Good news. You know, each week we dismiss the kids, and we ask them to give to the Peterson jar. So kids, we're just about to dismiss you. Go ahead and ask your parents so that you can give to the Peterson jar. For those that don't know, we have been sponsoring Peterson, who's a child out of Haiti, ever since the big earthquake um, several years ago. And we have not been able to get an updated picture. Well, I haven't made contact this past week. And uh, he's going to write us a letter and send us an updated picture. So I'm super excited to see what Peterson looks like three or four or five years later. So kids, let's go ahead and dismiss you. JJ's going to in the back with this so that you guys can give on your way to Children's Church. Uh, so anybody, oh wow, what is it, second grade on down, if you want to go. Uh, if you are an older kid and you want to do a children's bulletin, we have those. If you don't have one, I'm sure we could get you one. While they are departing, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, this is one of the pastoral letters that we are spending some time in over the next several months. People are thinking this is the funnest part of service when the kids leave, because we, we all got to give. All right, anybody who has stuck around, if I had a conversation with you and I started telling you one specific thing, and then at the end of the conversation I told you that exact same thing, do you think it'd be important? Okay, maybe, yeah, yeah. How about if I had a conversation with you and I started with something, I ended with something, and then throughout the conversation I interspersed that same thing? Do you think it'd still be important? Yes. (laughs) Jim's students don't. (laughs) Let me give you a simple simple example. Let's say I was having you over to my house, and I'm going to give you directions. By the end of the directions, I want you to tell me what the important thing was is. What the important thing, wow, English. What the important thing is. Okay? I'm so glad you to come to my house for dinner. We're going to have a wonderful time. Here's directions. Don't miss the turn by the big tree. So if you're going north on Division, you go about to the north 4400 block, and you get to Division and Francis. Now, if, you're, if you're actually taking directions, it's not directions to my house. But, okay, don't miss the turn by the big tree. Once you get to Francis, you take a left. Don't run the red light because there are traffic cameras there, and they'll send you a $124 ticket. Debbie's nodding her head like she's experienced this. I have experienced this. Okay? Don't miss the turn by the big tree. You go about 12 blocks, 13 blocks, 15 blocks, I don't know. You go to a shopping center, and right after the shopping center, there's belt. You hang a right on belt. Go about 30 seconds. There's a Y in the road. Don't miss the turn by the big tree. We are the third house on the left after the turn, after the big red tree. Red tree. Wow. I'm so looking forward to dinner with you guys. What was the most important part of my directions? Wait, I heard something about a red light. $124. Don't miss that. What part should you not forget? Kids, this is part of your bulletin. See your little insert. Don't miss what? 
The turn by the big tree. Yeah, see, I started with it, I ended with it, and I interspersed it throughout. Repetition is often very important, especially when there's repetition in Scripture. Last week, we started, uh, we resumed our study in the, in the pastoral letters, and we started 1 Timothy. We looked at just the introduction that Paul said to Timothy as he was getting the letter going, and this week, we jump right into the meat and potatoes. Okay, this is Paul not messing around. This is what he's going to seem to focus on the rest of the time. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. I'm going to read it off the screen. This is Paul talking to Timothy. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. That's how Paul starts the letter. Listen to how he ends the letter, chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid foolish, conduct, avoid foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. You see the repetition? Interesting. Listen to a few other things that the Apostle Paul inserts throughout the letter. Chapter 4, verse 7, you can just listen to this. He says, Do not waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Chapter 6, verse 4, Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and suspicion. Are you getting the idea that Paul wants Timothy to listen to something? He wants Timothy to address something. And some of the phrases in all of our Bibles talk about endless speculation, meaningless talk, godless chatter, irreverent babble, falsely called knowledge, godless ideas, old wives' tales. What is Paul wanting Timothy to put an end to? What is he wanting to learn? Want him, him to learn? What is he wanting us to learn? We're going to dig a little bit deeper into this passage. We're going to see what we can find from it. So chapter 1, verse 3. Paul very pointedly begins talking to or writing to Timothy by saying, hey, I'm urging you, potentially again, many people think he had done it before, to stop something. Stop the teachers that are teaching false things. This is verse 3, again from the screen. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now apparently this had been going on a while because the NIV translates that verse, command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. So they've been doing it for a little while. Now what was it they were teaching? Verse 4 begins like this. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation. 
Myths and spiritual pedigrees. Or myths and endless genealogies. Myths. I think for the most part we know what those are. Same thing they are today, they were back then. Fables, made-up stories. And this is what several commentators think that Paul was talking about. See, back then it was common for people to sit around and tie families and cities back to gods. They would say that a certain god came down and married a mortal woman and had offspring and such and such a family line started such and such a city. And people would sit around and they'd make these stories up and they were fanciful and they were what myths are supposed to be, fun to listen to, but they were myths nonetheless. Now some people think that the people who were doing this in Timothy's church were interspersing myths like this into their teachings on Sundays, on Saturdays. Myths and endless genealogies. It also wasn't uncommon for people to have an intense, passionate interest in their family line. We actually see this a fair amount in our Old and New Testaments. There's chapters upon chapters upon chapters of who begat who. Who was an offspring of who. Who's a descendant of who. This past week, uh, I forget what evening it was, Tuesday evening, Monday evening, I went upstairs to tuck J.J. in. Now, he was on his bed, has a little light on, and had his Bible open, and he was starting to read in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. Now, in case you don't know, 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 all are such and such begat, such and such begat, such and such begat, such and such. Okay? And uh, no offense, he's nine. He can't pronounce the names. I can't pronounce the names. Look at two verses, okay? First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Mitzraim was the ancestor of the Ludites, the Anamites, the Lehabites, the Naphtuhites, the Pathrusites, the Kalluhites, and the Kaphtorites, from whose the Philistine came. J.J., bless you. Have a good sleep. I love you. Sweet dreams of who beget who of names you can't pronounce. Nine chapters. This is just one of the books of the Bibles, uh, of where these lists are. Now, there's a commentator that thinks, as Timothy was talking, or as Paul was talking to Timothy, that all the learned men in that day would sit around and they'd look at these genealogies. Okay, so 1 Chronicles, nine chapters of it. And they would look at a name And they would reflect, they would contemplate, they would pontificate of the story of that person's name. Well, I bet they were married to so-and-so. And And I bet they had 13 kids. And I bet they did such and such for a job. And I bet they lived, you know, so long. And For every single name in the list. Can you see how that would create endless genealogies? Paul is saying these false teachers are teaching myths and endless genealogies. We don't know for sure exactly what those were. This is what most people were thinking. But what we do know is that whatever these teachings were, they were drawing people away from what mattered. They were not keeping the main thing the main thing. They were majoring in the minors, and they were doing something very detrimental In fact, two things very detrimental. Verse 4, it says they were promoting speculation. 
Hey, kids, this is number five in your bulletin insert, the first blank. These teachers were promoting speculation, and this was purposeful promotion. It says they were devoted to doing this. The Greek word there means that these people were wholly and fully absorbed in these extraneous materials. I think we've all met somebody who has been devoted to something, to an idea, right? Anytime you have a conversation with them, they're bringing up that idea. Anytime you exchange Facebook messages with them, they're posting about that idea. They tweet that idea when they Twitter. They they email that idea when they're emailing. They write that idea in a handwritten card when they're talking to you. They're devoted to something. I've been guilty of that. It's not a bad thing to be devoted to something, but when you're devoted to, as this text is saying, causing a division and promoting speculation, that's not good. And Paul is saying you have to stop that, Timothy. That's the first of these guys' teaching. The second effect was this. It was leading people away from the faith. It was leading people away from the faith. That's the second blank in number five, kids. We see this referenced in chapter 1, verse 6. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. We also see it in chapter 6, verse 21. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. It's not good when people are leaving the faith. Now, these these conversations are, are divisive, they're speculative, and they're being believed because the people who are teaching them are teaching them so confidently. This is verse 7. It says they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. When I was in seminary, one of the classes I had to take was a preaching class. And in in preparation and practice for preaching, they had each person stand up in front of the church or stand up in front of the class and read a passage of Scripture. Well, of course, the passage I got had a name that I didn't know how to pronounce, yeah, I was looking at it, and I'm trying to figure out the different ways I could pronounce it. And I didn't fumble through like I did those verses in First Chronicles. I didn't say it slowly. I just started reading it, and I said it as confidently as I possibly could, and I kept right on going. Funny thing is this. When I sat down, there was a fifth-year senior that leaned over to me. He had already had Greek. He had already had Hebrew, and he says, hey, thank you. I have never known how to pronounce that. Now I do. Only because I said it confidently. That's what these teachers were doing. They were promoting speculation. They were causing division. They were causing people to leave the faith because they were saying things so confidently. And the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, you must stop this. Now, in case it hasn't been clear, this is taking place in the church. This is taking place amongst Christians to Christians. It might be one thing if this was, you know, uh, Paul saying, hey, you know, there's going to be some non-Christians that are arguing with you. You should really not debate them or you really should debate them. That's not what's going on. This is Christian leaders in the church intentionally causing speculation, intentionally causing division. Paul says you got to stop that. You shouldn't debate. Now, I'm not saying we should never debate. Okay, there are things even within the church that we need to make sure we're sound on. We need to make sure this is the way. Jesus as the way to the Father. We can't earn our way. 
That's something we should argue about. We should make sure that's it. The forgiveness of our sins through Christ on the cross, that's something we should hold firm to. God's love for us, we sang about it in multiple songs, but his passionate pursuit of us, that's something we should stick a stake in the ground and say, no, this is true. But within the church, within the greater church, is it worth people walking away from the faith to argue over whether Genesis 1 is a six-day literal creation versus an allegorical reading and with an emphasis of, of God's desire for order? Is it worth losing a brother or sister in Christ to argue over whether baptism has to be submersion, pouring, or dipping? Is it worth hours and hours of conversation debating how many angels can dance on the head of a needle? No. You guys laugh, but there are, there's people in, in like theological training that spend hours debating that. Is it worth losing a brother or sister in Christ over something that's not a major? Paul's saying no. It's not worth that. Those things cause division. They cause disunity. And they're taking people away from what really matters. Thankfully, Paul tells us what really matters. Two things. The first is at the end of verse 4. He says these things, these myths, these spiritual genealogies, they only lead people to meaningless speculation, which doesn't help people live a life of faith in God. That's the first thing that's important, Paul says. We've got to make sure that in our conversations, our conversations are leading people to live a life of faith in God. The ESV reads stewardship from God that is by faith. The NIV says they're promoting controversy rather than God's work, which is by faith. Is our conversations leading people to greater faith? Because Paul says that's important. Now, the second thing he says is important is found in verse 5. He says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love. That love comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Filled with love is what Paul says. He says that all of our teaching, all of our preaching, all of our conversations need to point towards love. Love is the evidence of proper doctrine. Paul is saying that everything we say, everything we teach, everything we declare that this is right can be measured up against whether or not it leads to love. Whether or not it fills people with love. And that love is spawned from three different things. First, it's spawned from a pure heart. From a pure heart. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he encourages this young man, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That's chapter 2, verse 22. There must have been something from that, because Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount previously, had said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. A pure heart, that means that every thought that we have, every action that we take, every word that we speak needs to come from a place of holiness and goodness, a place of purity in our emotional and, volo and volitional centers. Can you say that every word you say comes from that? Because I can't, okay? And I wish, I wish that I could will myself to a purity of heart, but I can't. The good thing is Scripture tells us God will give us that pure heart. The psalmist saying in Psalm 51:10, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
Now, clean could also be translated from Hebrew to English, a pure heart. Create in me a pure heart. The psalmist knew that the way his heart became pure was only through God. God knows that the only way our hearts can become pure are through God doing that work. That's why he told his people in Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and so that you can live. A purity of heart comes from God. And you must have that pure heart in order to love. This is where we stop and say, God, purify my heart. Purify our heart so that we can live this life that Paul is calling us to, that you are calling us to. We can't have a pure heart without you, God. Do the work. Amen. Back to verse 5. Paul says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience. A clear conscience. This one's tricky. There's a few verses in the New Testament that point towards what Paul is meaning. Not what we think, but what Paul is meaning. One of those is in Acts chapter 23 when Paul was arrested and he's taken before the Jewish high council. He says this, Acts 23 verse 1, Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived a life before God with a clear conscience. Now later on in the New Testament, when asked, Uh, How do you share your faith with people? The apostle Peter said this. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. The author of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 18 says, Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. Here's the connection that these verses should be making. Conscience back then dealt with actions. But it was different than what we're thinking today. One author writes this, Conscience meant something different in Ephesus than it does for us today. For the first century people, conscience dealt with a person's conduct within a chosen group. A good conscience meant living according to the standards and practices which with the group deemed proper and acceptable. It meant living without shame among one's peers and companions. We today view conscience as a determination of right or wrong on an individual basis. They had a corporate understanding of it. Can you imagine, John Wesley used to ask the question, is your conscience clear? Can you imagine if in order to answer that question, you had to look around at the people around you and say, is it? Have I acted in such a way that that my conscience could be clear? I mean, that ups the level of accountability, doesn't it? Paul says, if you want to love, if you want to talk about things that push people to love, your conscience must be clear. And some of how that's determined is by those around you. Going back to verse 5. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Sincere faith. This is an active believing in God and in the gospel. The word sincere stresses the integrity and the authenticity of this commitment. Here's what's interesting to me. There's this short little list of three things that that help make up this pure, this this love that Paul's talking about. Okay? First 
is a purity of heart. Only God can bring that. The last is a genuine faith. Only God can give that. We cannot muster up. We cannot motivate ourselves. We can't manufacture on our own power a more devout faith. That has to be something that God gives us. It's a gift. The Apostle Paul actually talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12 when he's listing us all these gifts. He talks about the gift of faith. So faith comes from God. And when you have it in conjunction with a God-given purity of heart and in conjunction with a communal sense of a clear conscience, then you will be filled with love. Then the things we say and do, the things we push, the things we drive, the things we motivate, it will lead others to love. Paul says to Timothy, hey, there's, there's a bunch of un, ungood Wasted conversation going on on myths and spiritual pedigrees. It's not leading people to a greater life of faith. But here's what you should teach. Whatever you say needs to to bring people and fill them with love. And it needs to come from a purity of heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. I think that this message, this message can be pretty easily translated into us today. As I thought about it this last week, I thought, well, maybe it's so easily translated to us today because it's an election year and because there's going to be a lot of talk. There's going to be a lot of debate. There's going to be a lot of Christians on one side, a lot of Christians on the other side, and they could spend hours arguing. Maybe this could fit with us today because the world has become super small due to social media. Maybe it's Because today, people seem more willing to share what they're thinking without thinking through what they're sharing. Someone's going to say amen. People are more apt to speak their mind with the intention of speaking their mind without thinking about what it's going to do to the other person. This passage can relate to us today. Two quick points to, to, to illustrate how. In the year 1900, okay, 116 years ago, There was an estimated 1,600 Christian denominations. Depending on your source, in the year 2016, there is upwards of 30,000 Christian denominations. Many of these are split because of the smallest of details. One could argue because of the smallest, endless debate. Let's talk about social media. The world's become small because of it. When you're, when you're setting up your profile, it asks things like, where do you live? You can fill that in. It asks your marital status. It asks what you do for a job. And it asks your religion. And it's real easy to put Christian. Oftentimes, that's one of the examples in the drop-down box. Here's the problem with that. If you put Christian, the church becomes really, really, really big. Because whether you have five or 5,000 friends on Facebook, anything you say represents Christianity. Oh, I thank God that there has never been any endless debate or speculation on social media. But it might happen someday. About within our very own walls. Is every conversation we have filled with love? Every exchange between people based out of a purity of heart, a clear conscience, a genuine faith. And when I say every, I realize I'm setting a high standard. 
But when has following Christ ever been easy? When have we ever been called to the status quo? Never. We have been called to be holy because God is holy. And a simple, measurable, tangible way to see if we're making steps towards holiness is to reflect on our talk, to reflect on our conversations, to reflect on the debate amongst ourselves. If we can say with a genuine heart that that is leading people to be filled with love, then we're taking steps to holiness. If we can't say that, then we need to take steps towards holiness. What if every time before we spoke, before we wrote, we asked the question, will this push people to be filled with love? Will this push people to have greater faith? Or will it end up as godless chatter? Paul urged Timothy, stop the people who are talking in ways that do not lead to a greater life of faith or to greater love. I urge us to do the same. Does that mean that every Sunday I'll need to stand up here and start with, end with, and intersperse in the middle? Don't forget that we're asking this question. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe what's said today will stick, and it'll take root, and it will grow. Only God and time can tell. Paul's calling Timothy to a high standard. We've been called to a high standard. Let's push towards that. Father, it's easy to look at something like this, to look at your call to, uh, to evaluate everything we say uh, under the evaluation of a sincere, a sincere faith, uh, a genuine purity of heart, a clear conscience. And God, it'd be easy for me, it'd be easy for us to say there's no possible way. God, we can't live up to that, and, and we'd be right. We recognize that we can't do it, Lord, on our own. You have to do a work in us. And even as you do that work in us, you're going to continue to have to do that work in us over and over again. So, God, I pray you would help us to be receptive to that work. Lord, we're going to go very tangible this morning, and I'm going to ask that you would, would be present in our minds before we speak and before we write. Even just this next week, Help us to think through what we're saying and doing and ask ourselves, is this pushing people to be filled with love and is it pushing people to a greater faith? God, if we can spend a week doing that, who knows what you could do the following week. We can't do it without you. We trust that you will continue to grow us into the likeness of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.